ever invited people to an event that you were hosting, then you probably have a strong opinion on the importance of the RSVP. Um, If you are the invitor, you are the host, then you understand that part of hosting a gathering or a party or a banquet is considering the cost of the food and the amount of space that you're going to need and the venue that you're going to uh, host the event in and how important it is for you to have a somewhat accurate number of those who are going to show up. Now, if you're just having a pizza party over at your house, then it's not quite as big of a deal. But if you're hosting, say, a wedding reception, then you know that every person that uh, you're charged for increases your bill. The per plate cost can be significant, not to mention the rental of tables and chairs and a space large enough to hold the event. So for you, as the invitor, you put a premium on the uh, social etiquette of the RSVP. Now, if you are the invitee and not the invitor. Most of the invitees do not feel quite as strongly about the RSVP. And it's not intentional. You get it in the mail. And it is weeks or even months before the actual event. And you haven't planned out tomorrow, much less where you're going to be in three months. So you do what most people who get an invitation do, and you put it on the counter as you're making up your mind. The problem is, over the next few weeks, junk mail and bills and information from your student school get piled on top of the invitation and the RSVP, and you forget about it. Or you put it on your refrigerator with a magnet along with the 14,000 other things that are on your refrigerator with a magnet, and it blends into the decor, and you forget about it. Or maybe you don't forget about it. You're just hesitant to commit that far in advance because you think you might get a better invitation. Maybe you're hoping for a better invitation. Maybe you're hoping that something comes along that gives you an excuse for not going to that thing that you got invited to that you really don't want to go to, but you don't want to tell them that you're not coming. So you're just praying for something, anything, to come up, a sporting event, a school requirement, the flu, Anything that will get you out of having to go to this thing. You see, if you're the invitee, the RSVP is not nearly as important to you as it is to the invitor. Because they're trying to account for you being there or not being there. And so they have to follow up with a text, right? Or a phone call or an email or a DM, Or you run into them at the grocery store. Hey, did you get the invitation? I don't think we've heard back from you. And you have to go through this whole thing of trying to follow up. And they get more frustrated with you. And at this point, honestly, they don't care whether you're coming or not. They just want to know, are you coming or not? 
My goal today is not to straighten us all out on the social etiquette of the RSVP, but it is interesting that Jesus tells a story. One of his short stories is about this idea of RSVP for a banquet, for a feast that a host has prepared and has invited people to attend. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus tells a story about a party while he's at a party. Luke chapter 14, most of our stories have come from Luke because it's filled with parables of Jesus. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a party made up of religious leaders. This is how the chapter starts. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. He was being carefully watched because Jesus was always being carefully watched, in particular when he was around the religious leaders. The religious leaders most often were trying to find something wrong with Jesus, something they could accuse him of. You see, the religious leaders did not buy into Jesus' whole claims about being the Son of God or being a messenger from God. They looked on his miracles with suspicion. Part of the problem was this he was attracting all of this attention. Huge crowds were following him around, and that threatened the authority and the importance, they felt, of the religious leaders. So Jesus is at a party at the home of one of the religious leaders, and they're all watching him very carefully. Jesus notices at the party that there is a sick person in attendance. And Jesus, after some conversation, we won't go through all of it, Jesus heals the sick person on the Sabbath, which he knew always increased the tension between him and the religious leaders. The religious leaders didn't think you were supposed to work on the Sabbath. They considered healing as work on the Sabbath. So whenever Jesus healed on the Sabbath, tensions increased between Jesus and the religious leaders leaders. Then Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about humility. And and in this particular story, the idea is Jesus had noticed at the party everybody was choosing the best seats. As soon as you got there, you took the best seat possible, the most prominent seat, the seat that would make you look the best to everyone else at the party. So Jesus tells this story about not promoting yourself but being humble, taking the least seat. And then if you get a chance, the host says, no, come sit here. Then that's a great thing. So he tells a story about humility, followed by another story where he says to them, when you have a party, don't just invite the people that you know and you like. Don't just invite important people. Don't just invite dignitaries. Invite everybody. Have a compassionate heart that sees people even that are on the edges and the margins and invites them to be included. In verse 13, he says, But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So he even says, If you do things in this life that you don't receive reward for, which should not be your motivation anyway, If you care for, if you show compassion to someone, 
and you don't get compensated for it, you don't get recognized for it, that's fine because there'll be rewards in the next life for that. You don't have to go around trying to seek all kinds of rewards for yourself. You'll, you'll get rewarded eventually. Just do the right thing. Care about people. To that, in verse 15, one of the religious leaders uh, says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So Jesus has been talking about parties and feasts, and one of the religious leaders says, you know what's going to be great? You know who's going to be happy? Whoever eats at the feast of the kingdom of God. And he's right. Like that eternal, ultimate kingdom of God moment where everything is celebrated around God. If you're there, you're going to be really happy. You're going to be blessed. But there's a bit of a presumption in his comment. He presumes that he will obviously be there. He presumes that everyone in the room knows, well, of course, I'm going to have a seat there. And that comment is what prompts the story that we're going to talk about today. It begins in verse 16. Jesus replied to that comment. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, a custom of the first century is a little bit different for us. It was expected that a person would get two invitations. They would get the invitation we're all used to, the one that comes weeks or months before the event. And then they would respond to that invitation. Yes, I can be there. No, I can't be there. Now, it's assumed in this story that everyone said they would come. They got the invitation. They RSVP'd months in advance with, of course, I'm going to be there. Save me a seat. Because people did not have daytimers in the first century, or planners, or they couldn't set an alert on their cell phone. They did not have Google Calendar. They could not ask Alexa or Siri to remind them. It was considered the, the practice of the day that when the banquet was about to be ready, you would send somebody out to everyone who said they'd come and say, hey, we're ready. Obviously, food preparation wasn't back then what it is today. You couldn't narrow it down to a really locked... We're going to start at 7 o'clock. The food was ready when the food was ready. The banquet hall was ready when the banquet hall was ready. So that first invitation, if you said yes, you were going to get a follow-up invitation right before the time of the banquet to say, okay, everything's ready. We want you to come to the banquet that you said that you would come to. Again, the assumption is that everyone who was invited initially said yes. It was socially frowned upon, considered poor etiquette, to say yes to the first invitation, but then no to the second invitation. After all, the host had then gone to the expense of preparing everything, they got all the tables and chairs set up. They had inconvenienced themselves for you. And so it was considered inappropriate, even insulting, for you to say yes to the first invitation and then no right before the banquet starts. Now, maybe you know what that's like. You're hosting a party at your house or somewhere else. 
People say they're going to come, and then about two hours before the event, like you ever have this, text messages start rolling in. Um, we're not going to be able to make it tonight. And get a phone call. Get an email. Get a private message. Up, oh, not going to be able to make it tonight. That's sort of what's happening on a grander scale. The host has set up a huge feast, a huge banquet. People have said, yes, I'm going to come, but then this happens beginning in verse 18. But they all, everyone who had said yes initially, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. One by one, they all began to refuse the second invitation. They all alike begin to make excuses. Suddenly, other things have become more important. Suddenly, their priorities had shifted from we want to honor the invitation we've been given to, I have something more important to do in my life right now. I'm not going to show up. Some even suggest it was a coordinated effort. It was a conspiracy almost. That, that by the phrase, they all alike responded this way, that tells us that they were kind of communicating with one another. I've decided not to go. Oh, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. Well, if both of you aren't going, I'm definitely, definitely not going. Do you remember middle school and high school? Like when there was an event and everybody decided to go. And then one person said, you know, I've changed my mind. I don't think I'm going to go. And then that person's friend said, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. And then three more people. Well, if y'all aren't going, we're not going. Or one little group of friends in between getting invited in the party got mad at the other group of friends. And so this group of friends stayed home because they didn't want it because they were arguing. Or the most popular person in the group decided, I'm not going. And so all of their little people decided they weren't. Middle school and high school was such a great time of life, wasn't it? Don't you want to go back? This is kind of middle school, high school happening. They all alike decided we're going to do this together. Maybe, maybe specifically because they wanted to insult the host. They all alike decide not going. There's, there seems to be kind of some group think going on. Like we're all going to do the same. We're all going to stick together. I'm going to think like you think. In addition, they come up with some really bad excuses. Like you can see through the excuses. The first guy says, I just bought a field, and I want to go see what it looks like. You're telling me you bought a field without seeing what it looks like. You didn't survey it to see if it was going to be a good field, if you were going to be able to plan it. You didn't even look at the field? Let's suppose that this person was so wealthy that they had people to do that. They had people. So they send their people, and they buy the field. Well, you've already bought the field at that point. The field is not going to look any different tomorrow than it does today. You could go tomorrow and go to the banquet tonight. Just really bad excuses. The next excuse is almost exactly the same. I, I just bought five oxen and I need to go try them out. You didn't test drive them before you bought them. 
Like you, didn't, you didn't see that they were actually healthy. You just you sent somebody money. An Egyptian prince emailed you and said he had five oxen. And would you, if you would send him your bank account. Like, you, you didn't check this out. And again, even if you didn't, they're yours now. And they're going to look exactly the same next week as they do right now. You could go to the banquet and go see them later. Now, the third guy, i got to admit, there's a part of me that sympathizes with this guy. And I don't think we're supposed to sympathize with him. But there's one part of me. The third guy says, well, I just got married and I can't come. And there's a part of me that thinks this guy got married believing that he was still going to be in control of his social calendar after he got married. Like, I get it. Like, what man did not make that mistake when they got married? They thought, I'm going to get to plan all of my stuff even after I got... If that's the case, I get it for this guy. He was probably, though, appealing to a social custom of the day. Newly married couples could opt out of social engagements when they were newly married to focus on their marriage. That was allowed in the social customs of the days. You need to focus on your marriage. We understand you can't come. But same thing for this guy. You knew when your wedding date was when you said yes to this other party. This is not a surprise. So they come up with really lousy excuses that you can see right through. Getting all of that information back, the host has a decision to make. Am I just going to cancel this thing? I mean, I've already spent the money. I've already set everything up. I've already sacrificed so that I can... Should I just, should I just pretend like we weren't going to have a party and that's not what he decides to do. This is what happens in verse 21. The servant who had been sent out to give the second invitation, the servant came back and reported this to his master, all of the excuses. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Sends his servant out. He gets rejected, comes back. The master says, we're still having a party. We're still going to have a banquet Go find anybody who will come. Just go invite everybody. Whoever you walk by, invite them. It doesn't, it doesn't matter their social status. It doesn't, doesn't matter rich or poor. It doesn't matter if they're well or sick. Just invite everybody to come into the banquet. And the, the servant goes and does that. And he comes back and says, all right, we got a, a lot of people here, but there's still some chairs. Still room at the table. So the host says, well, go farther. Go to the outer edges of the city. Go out to the country lanes. Go out even farther and compel people, he says. And I think this idea of compelling people, what he means is once you get outside of the city, people aren't going to really know who I am. You're going to have to talk to them a little more. 
You've got to spend a little more time with them. They, they don't know where I live. They, they don't know about this banquet. Everybody in the city sort of has an idea that I was throwing a banquet. They know who I am. They've kind of heard stories about me, and so they'll trust me. But once you get farther out, there are going to be people who don't know me. And so you're just going to have to keep talking to them. Don't give up on them. Just keep asking them. Just keep asking them. Just tell them that I care about them and I want to host them. Compel them to come back until the banquet hall is full. Because even though the ones who first rejected the invitation won't be there, the place will be full. The seats will be taken. The tables will have plenty of people around it. So what is Jesus telling us about God? And what is He telling us about people? What He's telling us about God is that God is a merciful and compassionate God. That God, in spite of rejection doesn't stop inviting people to be in his family, in his kingdom, to come to his banquet. God, in spite of rejection, doesn't stop loving people. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus is at a party with religious leaders who represent the rejection of Jesus. The rejection of the Son of God who came to be our Savior, to die and rise again. And just because one group of people, one person, ten people, a thousand people, a million people have rejected God, it didn't slow God's compassion down at all. See, God's plan the entire time was that His love would go out to everybody. And yes, some would say no. Yeah, some would reject that love... That God's love through the person of Jesus Christ would continue to go to more and more people. The story reminds us of God's patience. In the Bible, in in English, we use the word long-suffering. He doesn't just give up. He doesn't go, well, this group didn't want me, so I'm out. God's patience, endurance, With people, yeah, keep asking more. No, that's not enough. Keep asking more. No, go farther. Keep asking more. I'm waiting. We're not going to start the banquet. Let's invite more. Let's invite more. This patience of God so that more and more people will come to know His love, would experience His forgiveness, would know what hope and eternal life is. That's who God is. What about people? One of the things we learn about people is Even people who are initially interested in God often find excuses when it's time to really commit their lives to God. Even people who have an initial curiosity about God, an initial curiosity about Jesus, maybe about spirituality or or religion, people who maybe like church or They like the music in certain churches, or they like the style of certain churches, or they like the feeling of certain churches. Even people who have an initial interest, they RSVP to say, yeah, I'm curious, yeah, that's interesting to me. I like the good feelings that I have. Even many of those fail to ever really commit their lives. 
fail to, to ever step into the banquet. Jesus is asking for a, a commitment from us. Not just that we like to think that there's someone somewhere in control, because a lot of people like that idea. They like the idea that when bad things happen, there's someone that's giving everything some purpose, that, that thought is appealing to them. Or they, they like the idea of a cosmic personality out there somewhere that if life gets really hard, they can talk to that cosmic personality. They have an interest, they have a curiosity about God. But Jesus doesn't just ask for our curiosity. He asks for us to commit our whole selves to Him. And if you're in the curiosity phase, if, if you're in the, I'm interested, I, I don't know a lot about it, we are so glad that you are here. Keep being interested here. I, I, I'm just saying that at some point, another invitation is going to come, not just to be curious, not just to be interested, not just to think, it's, it's, I, I kind of like what you're saying, but to fully commit your life to everything that God is that God desires for our life. Probably most of us know people who grew up as kids in a church. Or, uh, they went to children's ministry or Sunday school or, or they went to student ministry. Maybe they're really involved in student ministry. Maybe they're the leader in student ministry. Maybe they went to, ever, they went to camps. And, and then as they moved into adulthood, something happened. And that curiosity was just kind of gone. That interest was just kind of gone. And, and life moved on. And while they were curious and interested and a bit engaged as kids or students, as they became adults, they, they never made a commitment. And for many of them, their story becomes a series of excuses a series often of really bad excuses. Well, I'm in college. I want the full college experience. So I'm not really involved in church right now. Well, I'm trying to find a job. Just got married. You know, we're trying to focus on our marriage. Got young kids. You know, it's hard to get them dressed and get them to church on time. And that's a struggle. And so we're just, we can't really commit to anything Right. Well, the kids are they're playing ball and they're they're in gymnastics and dance and activities and travel and we're having to go here and there. So we can't really get involved and connected right now. You know, we got two in college and that's just taking everything. I'm working all the time trying to pay for that. You know, we're empty nesters now and we're just kind of trying to focus on us a little bit. Life can become a spiritual excuse if you let it. From one season to the next. And, and often when we make these excuses, we think, well, at the next stage, I'm going to get back to the things of God. I'm going to reconnect with spirituality. And what often happens is seasons change, but the excuses are still there. In this story, Jesus is saying, like, I... I don't want your curiosity alone. I don't want your excuses. I want you to commit your whole self to the kingdom of God through the Son of God, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for you. I want you to step in. The invitation is there. 
Just like possibly in this story, the, the group think that kept people away from the banquet is very much at work in our day. Often part of the excuse that people will offer is, offer is um, well, I'm not sure what my family would think, or I'm not sure what the people I work with will think, or I have a lot of friends that don't really have anything to do with church. I'm not sure what they would say. You know, a lot of people don't believe in God now. A lot of people question churches now and religion and and, and is it manipulative and all they want is money. And a lot of people have a lot of problems with church now. And so there is this connection with what everybody else thinks about God as your excuse. But here's what I would say to you. You have been given an invitation. You personally. You personally. Regardless of who your family is or who you work with or what your peers think about God, you have been given an invitation by God through Jesus to step into the banquet. And the question is, what are you going to do with your invitation? Now, what is everybody else going to do? What are you going to do with the invitation that God has given you? Because one day, this is not to scare or manipulate anybody, one day you will answer for your response to this invitation and nobody else's. You'll answer for your response to the invitation that God has made of your life to step into His kingdom and to step into His family. Now, remember, the invitation in this story is to a party. The invitation is to a banquet. It is to a feast. It is not to a prison camp. I mean, this invitation, people are rejecting this invitation. And the host is not saying, come and it's going to be terrible. The host is saying, I've done everything. Like, I've prepared everything. I just want you to come and enjoy what I want to give you. God, through Jesus, is extending an invitation where He says, Would you come and experience the fulfillment of life that I want to give you? The deep joy that I want to give you. No, life isn't going to be perfect by earthly standards. But when you step into the family of God, God is preparing a life of ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and hope and goodness. Jesus said at one point, I've come, that you would have life and have it to the full. I'm not trying to rob you of your life. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm trying to give you life. You are invited to a feast. I'm invited to a banquet. And, and there's that possibility this morning that there is somebody here at Journey today and you've never said yes to that invitation. Maybe you've been curious. Maybe you've been interested. Maybe you've been a little in and out. Maybe there's a lot of things that you like about the idea of God or the person of Jesus or the Bible or church. But maybe for somebody, this is the day that Jesus is saying, won't you commit your life? Well, why don't you just step in? Why don't you say yes? You may not have all of the answers yet, and that's okay. 
But will you trust that the host, the Father, God, is inviting you through Jesus, who died and rose again for your sins, is inviting you through Jesus into a full and satisfying life, a meaningful life in this world, an eternal life in the next one. And maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your day to go from curious to committed. One more thought. At some point, those who have accepted the invitation have to then become the servant in the story. At some point, after we've stepped into this life of goodness and feasting and banquet and satisfaction and fulfillment, at some point, we've been invited not just to sit around the table, but to then become the servant who goes back out to get more people. To say, let me tell you what I found. Let me tell you what's happened in my life. Let me tell you how Jesus has changed me. Let me tell you why this is important to me. Let let me tell you uh, how God has used prayer in my life. Let me tell you what's happened through faith in my life. The host said, look, go into the city where you live. Start asking. Start inviting. Start sharing. Go beyond that. You're going to encounter some people. They don't know a lot about God. They had not thought a lot about Jesus. They, they haven't given a lot of thought to spirituality. And you're going, to, you're going to have to stay with them a little bit longer. You're going to have to keep talking and keep loving and befriend them and walk with them and care about them. You're going to have to compel them. You're going to have to walk with them towards the banquet. And that may take a long time, but keep doing it right? at some point. You and I have to look around to the people that we work with and the people that we live around, the other parents on the Little League team that our kids play on, the friends that we've had forever, but we've never really had a spiritual conversation with them. We've never tried to talk to them about why Jesus is important to us, why faith is so important to us. And the host, God, is saying that you've got to compel them. You've got to talk to them. You've you got to share what's in your heart, what God has done for you with them so that they have an opportunity to respond to this invitation. For some of us, that's where we are. We've experienced the goodness of the banquet and God's saying, now you need to go out. For somebody, maybe, today's the day to say yes. And don't put it off. Don't, don't keep waiting. God is patient, but, but don't keep Him at a distance forever. Let's pray. Listen, if that's you, I, I would never want to manipulate anybody. Um, that's not what I'm here for. I'm just here to tell you the truth. And the truth is... You have a loving God who's inviting you into His family because of His Son, Jesus. Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the invitation. And there's nothing you can do. It's all been prepared. Just like a host in a banquet, God has already done everything necessary for your salvation 
All you have to do is say, yes, I commit my life to Jesus. Realizing your need for forgiveness, believing Jesus as the Savior, stepping from curiosity to commitment. And if you need to do that, do it right now. Tell Jesus that you want to commit your life to Him. To live for Him in this life and enjoy His presence forever in heaven. This could be your day. We'd love to pray with you if that's you. If you have questions, I'm going to be down front. I'd love to spend time with you. There is no greater decision any person will ever make other than to respond to the invitation of Jesus. So if you need to do it, do it right now. God, I pray that none of us will reject the invitation. I pray that none of us will will stop with just an interest, a curiosity, an initial that sounds interesting. But we will move to a point of committing our lives to the kingdom of God through Jesus. Thank you for preparing everything that was necessary for us to enter your family doing everything through Jesus to pay for our sins, to make a way back to our Father. Around us every day are people who don't know Jesus, people who need that invitation. May we be the servants. May we be the people who speak the invitation of Jesus into the lives of the people that we see every day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.